Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now when the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, the Lord heard it and his anger was kindled. Then the fire of the Lord burned against them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. But the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire abated. So that place was called Taberah because the fire of the Lord burned against them. The rabble among them had a strong craving. And the Israelites also wept again and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt for nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its color was like the color of gum resin. The people went around and gathered it, ground it in mills or beat it in mortars, then boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna would fall with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, all at the entrances of their tents. Then the Lord became very angry, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you treated your servant so badly? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a suckling child to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they come weeping to me and say, give us meat to eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone, for they are too heavy for me. If this is the way you are going to treat me, put me to death at once, if I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my misery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, the word of God made flesh. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, But I'm about ready for this coronavirus nightmare to be over. After just a short time of staying at home and social distancing and washing and washing and washing, I suspect that most of us are going stir crazy, desperate to go back to work, back to the mall, back to the movies, back to the gym, back to our friends, back to the wine store, back to the way things used to be. And when things are not the way we want them to be, or getting there as quickly as we would like, 
One of the things that is most tempting for us, but most dangerous to our souls, is to complain. This morning, we find the Israelites continuing their journey through the wilderness to the promised land. If you recall, Moses had led them out of Egypt through the parted waters of the Red Sea from slavery to freedom. But it took all of three days for the Israelites to begin complaining. And yet each time time they complained, God graciously provided for their needs water to drink and food to eat. When the Amalekites attacked, God brought them victory. When they arrived at Mount Sinai, God entered into a covenant with them. But at the first opportunity, the Israelites betrayed God and worshiped the golden calf. And Moses had to talk God out of wiping out the lot of them and starting over again with Moses. That in order to ease their anxiety, God assured the Israelites that his presence would remain with them in the form of the cloudy pillar. And he led them forth into the wilderness again towards the promised land. But once again... Three days into the journey, the people begin to complain. Isn't that interesting? The Israelites had now witnessed God's mighty acts on their behalf to get them out of Egypt and to protect them from the Amalekites. They had already experienced God's gracious provision in the desert. They had been claimed by God as his chosen people and promised a land that flowed with milk and honey, and they were given a visible sign that God's presence would remain with them throughout the journey. But three days in, they are back at it, complaining again. Well, this time God couldn't resist torching a few of them. But once again, Moses interceded for the people, and the fire of the Lord abated. Unfortunately, the complaining didn't die down as quickly as the fire, for it was led by a group of people Scripture calls the rabble. The rabble could not handle the slow pace that God was leading them through the wilderness, They wanted an express train to the promised land. But of course, it is on the journey through the wilderness that we are shaped by God into people of faith who can be used by God as instruments to fulfill his gracious purposes in this world. But the rabble had never really bought into that mission. They had only come along because of what they thought they could get out of it. Unfortunately, their ability to tolerate change and discomfort was very low, and their capacity for complaint was extraordinarily high, which is a deadly combination. You see, complaining is like a contagious disease, the complainavirus. It spreads from one person to the next so quickly so subtly that before you know it, the whole group is infected. And it can absolutely destroy a community in no time. You know, maybe, maybe there's a rabble in the place where you work or 
even in your group of friends or in your own family. There is definitely a rabble in every church. These are the people who complain when they aren't getting out of church what they were looking for or who want things to go back to the way they used to be or who wish things, that things would change more quickly. I can't stand contemporary music. Traditional worship is so boring. The music is too loud. I can't hear anything. Why don't we have screens in the sanctuary like everybody else? I hate screens. If we get screens, I'm out of here. All the church ever wants is my money. Why is no one meeting my needs? Why isn't there any video on the live streaming? Or organ? Why is the preacher so long-winded? You know, the funny thing about complaining is that it doesn't even feel very good. It's kind of like drinking salt water. It leaves you worse off than before because this virus takes away your ability to breathe in the love and grace of God. But it is addictive. The more you complain, the more dissatisfied you become, which only makes you complain all the more. And one of our favorite kinds of complaint and perhaps the one that is most dangerous to our spiritual lives is if only. If only I could get married. If only I had married someone different. If only I could have kids. If only my kids would go back to school. If only my parents understood me. If only we had found the cancer sooner. If only my father was still alive. If only we had more money. If only I had a better job. If only I still had my job. If only I had gone to law school. If only God would do something about this situation in my life. If only I could go back and do things differently. If only all my plans did not have to be canceled. If only I had moved all my investments six weeks ago. If only I had more toilet paper. If only, if only, if only, you can easily waste your entire life wallowing in if onlys. But the real trouble with the complaint, if only, is that it focuses on what is missing in your life, on what you do not have rather than what you do have. And therefore, it is a judgment on today. It causes you to live your life either in a mythical past or in a fantasized future rather than in the present. And that is always destructive to your soul because it prevents you from receiving the gifts that God is giving you today. And that is why the most dangerous rabble is always the one inside your own heart. Now, the rabble among the Israelites had practically turned this kind of complaining into an art form. 
And they managed to spread their infection throughout the camp until all the people were saying it as well. If only we had meat to eat. If only we were back in Egypt where everything was so great, where we had everything we wanted. If only we didn't have to eat this manna every day. You remember the manna. It was that white flaky substance that would appear each morning on the ground. And it was how God fed the Israelites throughout their time in the wilderness. Now, one of the mysterious things about manna is that it only lasted for one day. The people had to gather it each morning, but only as much as they needed for that day and no more. If out of their anxiety or greed or craving, they tried to hoard it and take more than they needed, the next day they would find it rotting with maggots. And admittedly, the manna wasn't much, just enough to keep them going on the journey. It's a wonderful metaphor for how the grace of God shows up to sustain us one day at a time through the often disorienting journey through the wilderness. You see, The people's daily hunger and the daily manna were both given by God in order to teach the people that God's grace was sufficient for their lives and that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And every day in the wilderness, the Israelites had to decide whether they would trust in God to sustain them along the way or bemoan the difficulties of the journey. What that meant was that the rabble served an important purpose. They confronted the people with this choice. They could choose to listen to the voices that were making them anxious and afraid and continue to complain about their hunger and what they did not have, saying, if only. Or they could choose to trust that God was still with them and would continue to provide for their needs day by day. The rabble inside your heart confronts you with the exact same choice. Will you complain about what you do not have or about what is not right in your life? Or will you look with gratitude for the daily manna of God's grace that just keeps showing up for those who have eyes to see, even in the midst of a pandemic? You know, what I find particularly interesting about the manna is its meaning. The word manna simply means, what is it? What a wonderful name. Every morning, the Israelites would get up and head out and gather up a day's worth of, what is it? The mothers would try to prepare it as creatively as they could, which was tough because there weren't any, what is it, cookbooks. When everyone sat down at the table to eat, the kids would look at it and ask, oh, what is it? And their mother would say, yep. And so day after day, the Israelites gathered and ate the manna, the what is it 
that God had provided for them, which sustained them on the journey through the wilderness until they arrived in the promised land. And what that meant was that for 40 years, the Israelites were nurtured and sustained by a question. What is it? And every day, they kept taking in this question and being shaped by it. What is it? What is it, God, that you are doing in our lives? What is it that we are being led towards? What is it that we are leaving behind? What is it that we're supposed to do with our hunger? What is it that we are doing out here in the wilderness? Whenever we enter wilderness experiences in our lives, we always have a tendency to think that somehow it was a mistake, that God wasn't paying attention while we made a wrong turn in life. And now that we're stuck in the desert, we think there's not much God can do for us there. But remember, it was God who led the Israelites into the desert in the first place so that they could become a people of faith who had learned to place their trust in him alone and recognize the gifts that God was giving them each day. After all, there's nothing else to rely on in the desert. And God is just as much in control of things in the desert as he is in the promised land. Remember, he created both of them. It all belongs to him. There aren't any desert places in our lives where God does not go with us and provide manna, just as he did for the Israelites. Indeed, for 40 years, God managed to keep these grumbling people alive in a barren wilderness with this daily manna, this question, what is it? Unfortunately, the rabble wasn't particularly interested in this question because their disease had taken over. So rather than asking, what is it, God, that you are doing, they just kept saying, if only. And they kept on complaining until they had infected the entire congregation. Finally, Moses couldn't take it anymore. He had interceded for the grumbling, disobedient people time and time again, but now he's finally had enough. So even he starts complaining to God, why have you treated me so badly? Are these my people that I should have to carry them? Did I give birth to them? If this is how you're going to treat me, then, then, then just kill me now. This is a pastor in desperate need of a clergy renewal program. Yes, even pastors are susceptible to the rabble's influence, particularly the rabble in our own hearts, whose, if only, can so easily blind us to the daily manna of God's grace. But despite the rabble's complaints about it, what the promise of manna assures us is that God is still with us, urging us to choose gratitude and trust rather than complaint as he continues to send blessings our way. And when you're paying attention, 
then you begin to discover manna in all kinds of places and you wake up each day to a whole new world that God is trying to show you as you begin to discover beauty and God's provision in the wilderness. And so the question we need to ask ourselves, particularly when we are in the wilderness times of life, like so many of us are feeling right now, is the question posed to us by the manna. What is it? What is it, God, that you're trying to show me? What is it that God wants me to become through this experience? What is it that God is trying to teach me about himself or about myself? What is it that God wants me to repent from? What is it that God wants me to realize about my spouse or my children or my parents? What is it that God wants me to see differently about my boss or my employees or my friend or my enemy? But all of these questions are really just variations of the deeper question, what is it that God is doing in my life? And according to scripture, the answer to that question is Jesus Christ. Indeed, he's the answer to all of our questions. Every time we come to God with our complaints or our questions, he just keeps showing us Jesus as if to say, all that we really need is found in him. After all, as Jesus declared to the hungry crowds in the sixth chapter of John, he is the living manna, the bread of life come down from heaven to feed us. And Jesus promises us that whoever comes to him and believes in him will no longer hunger or thirst for all the things that can never satisfy us. For we do not live by bread alone, but by the word of God made flesh who has come among us. And therefore, the question we need to keep asking ourselves is, what is it that Jesus is doing in my life? So often we get caught up in the WWJD question, what would Jesus do? And not that that's a bad question, but but it reduces Jesus to a moral influence who's stuck in the past. The better question is, What is it that Jesus is doing today? Because he is alive and he is with you, offering you daily manna of love and forgiveness and hope and new life if you are paying enough attention to receive it. So you too have a choice to make. You can choose to go through life addicted to complaint Grumbling along with the rabble, if only, if only, if only. But if you do that, you will never be able to truly live in today. And remember, today is the only day you can receive the manna. If you don't gather in the daily blessings that Jesus is giving you, they simply melt away. And you will spend your life focusing on what you do not have. Your other choice is to learn to pay attention to and be grateful for 
the small but miraculous ways that Jesus is faithfully working in your life day by day. Oh, some days it may not seem like much, but the promise of the gospel is that if you place your trust in Jesus and learn to pay attention to what it is that he is doing, it will be enough to sustain you along the journey, even through the wilderness. Indeed, it is the only thing that can. Amen.